0: Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants and how they found their own software success. And now let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent, they cost half as much as in-house developers. And you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget Or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today's special guest is J.D. Grapham. J.D. owns a successful digital agency and buys SaaS companies and adds them to his portfolio. While his agency is growing nicely he reinvests profits from agency into SaaS companies and is up to... 10 and growing. Today we're going to catch up on what he's been up to since the last time we spoke on this podcast and what he looks for in businesses that he buys, his strategy to buying, and the direction he hopes to go. And how are you today, J.D.? I'm
1: doing pretty good. I'm tired still after Halloween. It was a. Little...
0: Oh, you are, yeah? Do you <laughs> yeah. do a lot of trick-or-treating?
1: I, well, the before Halloween, the day before Halloween, I took my boys who were seven uh, on a camping trip with Cub Scouts.
0: Oh, really? And okay. then
1: we went uh, trick-or-treating the next night. So we're still recovering from that.
0: <laughs> full, the full gambit, huh? Mm-hmm. No sleep from the camping is usually how it goes, right? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Sleeping on the ground is no fun. But other than that, Yuck. doing fantastic.
0: Great. Well, like I mentioned, we, we had you on the podcast probably about a year ago or something like that. And um, I'll be honest with you, you're the first guest. Actually, that's not true. I had Andrew Warner on twice, but you're the the, the only other guest I've had on twice. And you're probably one of my favorite uh, guests as well. So uh, excited to catch up with you. Happy to be here. So um, why don't you give us a quick rundown of, of where you're at right now. The last time we spoke, you had Simple Focus going. And you had a number of SaaS companies. And I believe since that time, you've acquired three or four others oh my um, can you just kind of give, give us a give, give me a rundown of where, where where you're at with business wise
1: yeah I'm not sure if I had recently bought anything before I was on last time with you Jordy but I'll kind of start with the most recent acquisition we just closed on a business called audience ops which is a content marketing service it is a business that was started by Brian Castle who's a wonderful entrepreneur, um, great builder. And, and, um, he's focusing his time and energy on, uh, a, a new business zip message that's doing really well for him. And he wanted to, um, find a good home for audience ops, someone who would take care of it and could, could, uh, take it to the next level. So I've been doing a lot of work with, uh, The team there at audience ops to sort of optimize and 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 help out on some of the the process around creating new services and expanding what we can offer there so audienceops.com before that I had bought a service called delegated so another service business delegated is dedicated virtual admins so if you need help uh, whether it's from a personal assistant or executive assistant or executive admin we have customers who are um, you know both corporate but but a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of agency owners like me um, and you SaaS companies whose leaders are too busy trying to do the unimportant work um, I don't want to say that that, Getting your calendar right is unimportant, but when they really need to be focused on like corporate vision, you know the direction of the product and, and optimizing the team, uh, we come in and we offer dedicated virtual admins who get to know you and become part of your business and company and culture. And uh, they learn your preferences and everything. So they're not constantly handing you off between you know five or, or 10 different admins to do your tasks, you, you you build a relationship with one person, and, and, and that's your person. And they take care of whatever you need to, remotely, working from home. So if you need you know an executive assistant for 40 hours a month rather than full-time, dedicated becomes a, a very attractive offer. Uh, it's a great way to sort of get started if you've never had an admin. And um, we get a lot of um, materials and, and, and training and coaching on how best to leverage a virtual admin as well? That's uh, one of the areas that we've really spent a lot of time
0: focused so it's, on. It's kind of like bringing in a um, a trained uh, entrepreneurs PA or executive assistant, essentially. And, and, and there's they just they have some onboarding time, but they have their own SOPs on the right way to do things, so you don't have to kind of train anything. Right.
1: I mean, we've got some SOPs, but we'll of course adapt them to whatever works for you. And then before that, about a year ago, or just over a year ago, I bought a business called ARPU, which is A-R-P-U. Yeah. Yeah. GetARPU, right? Yep, yeah, getARPU.com. And I don't know if we had talked about that one the last time we were on or No, not.
0: I think right. that was the one that – that was the last one that I heard about that you um, bought. Because before when you were talking about um, this very interesting model, you like to buy – SAs that were sort of flat for, say, three years. Mm. And, you, and the reason that you did that is because you felt like they were safe. Uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but um, you felt like that was sort of a safe way to do it because you knew um, you would, you know, it was probably unlikely that it was going to start declining. And the models kind of get your money back in like two, two and a half years. Is that, is that about right?
1: Yeah, something like that. Well, ARPU was a lot different.
0: Yeah, I know. That's why yeah. I wanted to go over that. So tell us about ARPU and why why you changed up that, that formula.
1: So part of it is just experimentation and having uh, a little bit more confidence. Um, see, if we go back to how I got started acquiring software businesses... It sounds great when you say, oh, J.D. had a successful agency and reinvested the profits, blah, blah, blah. You know, It makes me sound like I knew what I was doing and I'm very intelligent and a planner. The, The fact is, there was an opportunity in 2012 to buy a software company. I had some spare cash and a relationship with a bank and I found a way to make it come together. And I've done that every time since then. It's just that each time I do it, I've got more experience under belt, and I've learned more. And in the early days, the thing that kept me up at night was, like, buying something that didn't work out. Because I was taking money that really mattered. It wasn't play money, right? This is money that I, I could be just putting into a savings account or putting into another business that I knew uh, how to run. Right. And instead, I'm I'm trying to take over something new and, you know, you never know if it's going to work out. And so my hypothesis, which I, I still stand by, is that if something's been running for three or four years with zero customer acquisition cost and zero shrink or churn in revenue, you know, and it gets as many customers as it loses every month and all of it's all of it's you know, traffic is sort of just naturally coming in because over the years, a bunch of random blogs have written it up or talked about it or it's word of mouth. Like that tells me that that's a good product that sells itself. And like if you zoom out of the SaaS world and you, and you talk about what that means, you know, it's like the, like the guys on the infomercials. It sells itself, you know? I mean, people see it and they get it. And so it just works, right? A great product is always something I wanted to have. And so, if there was something that came along, and it, and it fit those criteria, I felt like it was a very secure bet to place. And I felt like I could grow revenue up into the right and get bigger over time by sort of buying revenue that was flat, and then buying some more revenue that was flat. Which is, you know, how business works. At a certain scale, you you go through you grow through. You know, mergers and acquisitions. Um, you make it more attractive that way, and so that was my plan. So along comes Arpu, which is, for your listeners, a a Shopify and Recharge app. More specifically, it's a Recharge app that requires you to connect to Shopify.
0: What's Recharge? Now, is that some type of um...
1: Recharge is a Shopify
0: app. Okay. And so, okay, what it
1: so... what it does, yeah, is it it enables um, merchants to sell subscriptions. So you think your subscription box businesses, you know, Dollar Shave Club, Sasquatch, which is they sell soap for for manly men or whatever, you know, coffee, supplements, anything that you're gonna want to dog food. If 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 you're wanting to sell dog food, for example, um, on a subscription, so. A monthly or, or, or bi monthly delivery of your favorite dog food so you don't have to worry about it. Or you want to keep the soap stocked in your shower and you know you go through a certain amount every, every six weeks or whatever. It, it enables you to do that. Okay. And recharge is fantastic at that. Um, subscriptions commerce is a big and growing part of the e commerce landscape. Recharge is a big one right and they are in a very enviable position their 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 growth is insane they have raised a ton of money at at, at great valuations and they are just hiring 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 okay when i learned that arpu was for sale it was not very old it was only 18 months old so it certainly hadn't been flat for three months And it had been doing this, like just up and to the right. So I had to look at other things to like understand how stable this thing was going to be, right? So I needed to understand if we put money here, what's the risk that Recharge, uh, you know, shuts us down or becomes our biggest competitor, right? And those risks are real. And those risks are ones that you calculate and you decide whether or not you're comfortable taking them or not. So um, I got to know some of the, uh, what was going on at ReCharge and learned about that business and dove really deep into that um, industry, the e-commerce and subscriptions business. And I had to learn the landscape um, as part of my due diligence, as much as learn about, you know, Arpus code base and how well it was engineered and all that. Um, and I had to create a plan to forecast out how we would manage the risks. So what would we need to build onto the product that didn't exist already? What would that team need to look like? How much would it cost to operate? And, um, and how big could this thing get if we kind of just put the pedal to the metal? And, um, you know, I, I, I had a, a bunch of people that I work, worked with on the deal um, who helped me think through that and um and and some partners and and uh, money guys who also helped and um we came up with these these models and it just continued to look like a no-brainer the the founder of the business is a brilliant entrepreneur who i would never say anything negative about is his name's wilson hung wilson's just a wonderful entrepreneur really sharp guy as I was looking at the business, though I would never say anything negative about Wilson, there was stuff that Wilson wasn't valuing in the business or leveraging that I would, that I saw as opportunities, right? And I was like, okay, that's an opportunity. That's where the value is. And, and, and Wilson was was you know focused elsewhere, right? And so it created a scenario in which we had this business that looks like a bottle rocket, which is a good thing, and an entrepreneur willing to part with it. Because I had a skill set and the ability to execute in some ways that that he didn't. And he wanted to go do this other thing. And so it worked out to be a really wonderful win-win. Right? Um, And those are the deals that I really look for. And I apologize if there's background noise, Jordy. (laughs) Somebody's running running a vacuum cleaner. It's okay. (laughs) They're liable to bust in here with a vacuum cleaner in a minute.
0: (laughs) So I've got a few questions. In, in that, it sounds like kind of a long due diligence uh, period. Like, how long was the due diligence?
1: Oh, it was like this? it was like six weeks or something. It was very fast. Oh, okay. so it's not. It was a lot was of work. It was a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay,
0: so, a, so you kind of crank, you cranked it out, got to know the guys at Chargeify, recharge. Recharge. Sorry, that's what I mean. Recharge. How comfortable were, were you when you asked them says, "Would you guys be building this?" Because that, to me, would be like my biggest worry, as you mentioned. And how comfortable Whew. were you with their answer? Yeah, that's
1: that's a big one. So, a little bit more backstory to layer in to answer that is that uh, we we partnered with a software company called churnbuster to complete the acquisition. Of um of ARPU, and Churnbuster was already in the business of subscription payments and whatnot, and that was a big part of my level of comfort was that these guys at Churnbuster have the relationships with Recharge, right? And so for the stake that they have in the business became worth it to me, not to want to just buy all of it, right, and to have them have some skin in the game because because they would be able to help navigate that. And at a certain point you have to trust people who you trust, and I trusted these people. At you know, Matt, Joel, Ken, all at Turnbuster, held my hand through it and said, "Look, they they're not going to do that right now. That's not where their focus is." You know, and 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 and, and here's here's how we know that, right? And so that they're made part sense. owners
0: then? Are they p- churn busters as part owners? Right, now? they are, yeah. Okay.
1: Now, after I bought the business, I really laid into the relationship side with ReCharge because that's very important. ReCharge is a massive and growing enterprise, and they've got a lot of moving parts. And businesses that are scaling like that, they have to, if they're going to be successful in executing, they have to stay focused on a vision, Right. And um, all along the way, the story and the vision from them has been this, this area that you improve for our business is not an area of focus for us, right? And so it's an opportunity that's sitting out there for us to kind of do our thing and to reinvest those profits into potentially growing what we do which was part of the the de-risk mitigation plan right was to say okay how do we and you know, candidly and I've, and I've shared this with recharge how do we expand beyond just relying on recharge <laughs> you know and recharge feels that pain yeah. because they started out as relying solely on shopify
0: Shopify, right? Right,
1: and so they were like, yeah, we get that, you know. That makes perfect sense. The tech partners there, they really or the tech partner managers, they at Recharge, they really get that because like Recharge had to grow beyond Shopify, right? And so they understand that we may have to, you know, potentially partner with somebody's not Recharge one day. So that's part of it. Another part of it is is casting a vision for what is it that Arpu really does that we could expand upon? Just from a product vision perspective. And, and that really is, I think we, we can focus on communications for uh, recurring revenue uh, or subscriptions merchants. And I think there's a real opportunity there for us to capitalize on becoming synonymous with communications for subscriptions merchants. And there are some, there's some serious problems it, that, that merchants deal with that ARPU can can help solve for and uh, so we laid out what those opportunities were and we said, all right, here's the plan to execute and, and build that stuff. And so that's what we've been working on, Jordy. And I, I, I don't want to, I really shouldn't put too much out there because a lot of what we build or think we're going to build may, may or may not get built. And, and so I don't want to put any confusing information out there. But I think the takeaway for your listeners is I had to be thinking about all of this during the due diligence phase in order to get comfortable enough with this deal as I was with what before that had been very simple deals. Oh, it's flat, and it has been for three months. It sells itself, you know, like not a lot of yeah. due diligence to do there other than to make sure that the code base, you know, isn't a pile of steaming done.
0: Yeah. So so let's go over some of the numbers when, because they're quite interesting, right? I think uh, when you first started doing due diligence, you remember what MRR was at? Like twelve thousand, maybe.
1: It was higher than that. We've got contracts that's going to prevent me from talking too specifically about the numbers. Um, Sure. Yeah. But I I will tell you, it was it was certainly higher than that. Um, But what was really cool about it is that in the six or eight weeks to close, probably went up fifteen percent. You know. And
0: so you're still using the same asking price, and you've already. Um, what uh, did that price change? There's
1: always the possibility that that's going to happen, you know. But I think what we landed on in the beginning was a number that worked for both people, for, for both parts. You know, and that's where it felt like it kind of clicked into place and it was the win-win that I'm always looking for. Because I don't ever want to take advantage of somebody. You know, it, it sure it sure feels nice to close and
0: already
1: earn it back. Yeah, and, and have that growth. But it was also kind of forecast into the the asking or the the offer that we made as well.
0: And and what was your return on investment target for this one? Because obviously it's higher growth. Right. What were you comfortable uh, getting your return back for this one?
1: So with this one, I did not take so much of a we want to get a payback in two and a half or three years or anything like that. Instead, I said, okay, what will this business be worth if we hit some certain milestones within a few years or something like that, right? So I, I stopped thinking about cash flow on the business. And I said, okay, what if we reinvested all of the cash flow into the business to grow it and hit a certain milestone? We didn't take any money out of the business in, you know, I don't know, five years. If it hits certain milestones, what's the business worth at that point, right? And, and that's a much more attractive number than um, getting your money back in two or three years and then, you know, having a good cash flow business, which is what everything else has been for me. And so I sort of am changing my model with this business to build value rather than to optimize for cash flow because optimizing for cash flow is it's a double edged sword because you you could have great cash flow in a business that's not growing or you could have great cash flow like Redbox eh, which is a DVD box that they put in grocery stores and gas stations that business is losing revenue every year but it's a it's a it's it's a cash flow hog right like it's it's doing a great job with cash flow it's very profitable um, but it's losing value right and so um, I, I took a different approach with this because i was like all right well what if what if we just kind of said all right let's let's make a run at, at growing the value of the business okay plan b what if that doesn't work well i feel comfortable that we can operate a cash flow business at that point because we can pull back expenses and stop reinvesting everything into it you know so we can still have a cash flow business if at a certain point it doesn't you know, hit the milestones and the numbers that we needed to hit for it to be, you know, to have a certain level of value. Now, what you do when it hits that milestone and it has that value? Do you sell it? Um, do you come up with the next phase? You know, I've I've thought about all of that, and and I don't know the answers to that question. And it'll just kind of have to. We'll just kind of have to see where we're at when that happens. But you but know, I it's
0: meeting your expectations. Oh yeah, it's doing great. Yeah. Yeah, the team it's doing that, great. yeah, it's
1: I mean, we've yeah. got a team of oh, probably 12 people working on it almost full-time. Um, really. Okay. Yeah, it's it's become a a very important part of the portfolio and an area of focus for most of the team. Okay. Yeah, it's getting oh, it's great. getting a lot of resources from from my uh, from my SAS, you know, team.
0: Yeah. Now, how about um, how how did that work with the um, debt payback? I imagine you you financed some of this.
1: This was a cash deal.
0: Oh, this was a cash yeah, deal. This okay. was a so cash that's deal. That's why you could you could kind of you didn't have to, right. to refund. Yeah. So okay.
1: so my I investor partners and myself and and the team at Turnbuster or Churnbuster itself actually the the we we all went in and and. and um, me and my investors were one entity, and Trim Buster was another entity, and we, we we put in the cash or the equity into the business.
0: And can you tell me? I, I realize you you can't tell me all the financials, but can you tell me what sort of a multiple you had to pay on the um, annual revenues at that time?
1: It's a little bit richer sounding than than my deals in the past, but it ended up it ended up being. I'm trying to run the calculation in my head. At the beginning of the deal, it was close to 3X on annual revenue and uh, recurring revenue, which was a forward-leaning number, right? Not yeah, not yeah, your trailing yeah. 12 months of revenue. And yeah. by the end of the deal, when we closed, it was down to like 2.6 or 2.4 that, or something like that. That doesn't like sound
0: that. rich to me. I mean, well, I've seen some 10... 10 multiples now you know when the i mean that's the asking price of course but
1: yeah i mean people talk about 10x multiples on annual recurring revenue they they better be sitting on something that's got some serious value and not just a a small little SaaS app right yeah this was this was a small little SaaS app Mm -hmm. highly risky because it's like integrated with one marketplace and one partner you know yeah um and, 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 and there's a partner that could put its thumb on you and just make it go away. So it was, it was risky in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the growth from the time we started to the time we closed was nice to see, um, but it was sort of factored in. And normally I would be making an offer of, you know, let's just say two to two and a half on the last 12 months of revenue, which would be for a growing business, a discount, right? Yeah. Um yeah. but if you take a growing business and you just take a snapshot in time of this times 12, right? This month's revenue times 12 mm-hmm. equals your annual revenue. Your ARR, right? Then we were doing three, like something like 3x of ARR.
0: Yeah. Um still Which is pretty good if you're growing 15% month over month. That's pretty neat. Nice.
1: Yeah, I mean there are better deals out there to be had than this. Um what we, we paid a premium uh, on what we could get on the market, but the reason we were willing to pay a premium is because of the opportunities um, that I saw and that we saw that we could capitalize on, right? Um, I still think there's, there, don't, don't get the wrong impression, this was a good deal for us, um, but you can buy businesses much cheaper than that
0: and and how did this deal come to you um what was it was it through personal network again i mean where's your deal flow mostly come from the best deals
1: always come through word of mouth it's very rarely through something like um micro-acquire. um i've known somebody involved in the deal on the last three deals that i've done um so the seller for Audience Ops reached out to me personally, Brian Castle. I was on his podcast and he and I have talked several times over the years. Um, we knew each other. Um, before that, um, David Hauser is one of the owners of Delegated. And um, while I did see Delegated on MicroAcquire, I wasn't interested in what I saw on MicroAcquire, but I did reach out to him and I said, Hey, David, is this you? You know? And then it kind of went offline from there. So I did learn about it through require but I did have that personal relationship with David Hauser. And then with with ARPU, so Matt Goldman contacted me uh, because they had been um, talking with Wilson about this deal for a little while. And... Um, as they looked at it closer, they decided, man, this really seems like something JD would be a good operator of, and, and we'd like to have some skin in the game, so let's partner up with JD and do it, if he's interested. And so they came to me, I, I think first, <laughs> at least that's what they told me, and, uh, and said, hey, JD, you want to do something? And I was like, yeah, let's do this. This is great. And so um, I had known Matt and uh, Joel and, 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 and Ken from Churnbuster for a long time. In fact, I've been on Matt's podcast, kind of helped them a little bit negotiate the deal to buy Churnbuster back in the day when they bought it, and um, helped them kind of negotiate the terms of that deal. Gave them a little bit of advice and um, ended up with a really nice bottle of whiskey that they shared with me, which was very nice of them. Um, and we'd stay in touch over the years, and, and so we had that relationship. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just these professional relationships. And, I mean, and I'm looking at all the deal sites every day, kind of looking at deals and reaching out and trying to learn what I can, but it seems like the best deals that are the best fit always come by word of mouth.
0: But do you ever go, do you have like a um, like a cold outreach? Like no. say, for example, you know, say you mm. wanted to buy a blog in um, – in emails, uh, sorry, um, um, product subscription services, would you go out and just kind of buy a blog on that because you needed some traffic?
1: I I haven't ever done that. Um, One of the things that we do want to try and accomplish is to buy a business that has a massive audience, very influential, you know, sort of signature brand that we may not buy for revenue, but maybe for revenue opportunity um but something with an audience built in because the the businesses that we have don't really have a following um their 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 audience is their customer base basically yeah. um you know and so you see what's out there and you look at businesses like um uh really good emails for example which is which is I saw openly them, and publicly sale, for, for sale yeah yeah, yeah. so I saw that yeah you get really interested in something like that and uh, but then you you kind of have my experience and you're a little spoiled because probably a little rich you know for the money they're bringing in um, and you know there's strategic reasons you would buy that um, to date I've been operating on the uh, the idea that I don't want to lose money. Um, and so I don't want to overpay and I want to keep it simple and what what works for me has has worked for me. But you know, as you build up and you grow as I have over the years and you learn more things, you start to look at those opportunities a second and third time and, and start to think, okay, well as I diversify and, and have have more capital that we can like sort of risk um does something like this begin to make sense where it could really pay off right um and so there there are a couple of different services out there um, or communities out there like really good emails um that may or may not be for sale and I, i haven't done any outreach on them to go back to your question um but i've had a couple of people come to me over the years who think i'm way fancier than i am and they say hey i should help you with business development I can help you source deals and this and that. And I'm saying, I don't source deals. Like, <laughs> I'm, like I take what comes to me and it's probably more than I should take on, <laughs> you, know, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. You know? And they say, well, if you're looking to invest a million to 10 million in capital in year and, in in, 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 in acquisitions, I'm like, I'm not looking to invest anything in acquisitions every year. But if something yeah, comes to yeah. me and it's like a no brainer, I'll do it. If I can, figure out a way to cobble it together, but it's not like I've got a pile of cash sitting here with a bunch yeah. of investors ready to sign a, 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 a blank check just because I, fi- I find something, and so I'm not doing you know, outreach, which puts me in a bucket of, of not a really sophisticated buyer, except I've done this probably 20 or 30 times in the last eight years. And that yeah. makes me kind of a sophisticated buyer. So, like, I just know yeah. what's, what works for me and I've kind of... You know what works, yeah. I've I've whittled down what I'm comfortable doing um, and I've been willing to stretch and grow as, you know, we've demonstrated over the last couple of uh, tr- uh, transactions that I've described. Um, so I'm just learning as I go, you know, and trying to figure it out and get better at it, um, get more sophisticated and, you know, I'm starting to get to where we could do... You know really interesting deals and right now i probably owe it to myself and my team to kind of focus um on what we have going right now keep my attention on that because i've gone from having an agency with you know eight people when i bought pulse in 2012 to having about 100 people now under me and
0: in the agency and simple focus. And and, and yeah, and in
1: in the in and the uh in and, and everything combined, right? It's like hundred people.
0: Yeah. You um, know, in all the portfolio in the yeah, in the everything agency, about and the, the SaaS mm-hmm. all the SaaS companies, yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, so um that number sort of ballooned over the last couple of years. You know, it's gone from it was sitting at thirty five or so a couple of years ago to close to a hundred now. I I probably owe it to everybody to just kind of get my hands wrapped around that for a while. So I'm not actively looking to buy anything right now. I'm not doing outreach. Um, I want to get this right before we you know, decide if leveling up to 1,000 employees makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm just kind of taking it slow and making sure that I don't lose too big on anything. And yeah. trying to do a good job, um, because um, a lot of people counting on me.
0: Yeah, w- w- one of the things that you haven't really touched on, but I remember from the last show, is that all of these purchases have a strategy, and they they're all sort of going in this. In, they're in the same space. It's mostly e-commerce, right? But when you buy something, it's because you feel like. You're weak in an area, and you kind of look for a project in that area to f- sort of fill in the the toolbox, uh, if you will. Is is that accurate? Not really, no, no. Um, but it's mo- it's in e-commerce, though, right.
1: Yeah, I mean, so with Arpu, we've looked at possibly acquiring other e-commerce add-ons that would help us in the communication space. Like, for example, ARPU might actually look to bolt on something in SMS or um, gifting or something like that. Um, But we we might just build it too because we've got enough momentum that, that either way would work and buying something, if it's built right, could be a way to speed that up but buying something if it's, if it's not could actually slow us down and, and paint us into a corner because uh, we want to build something that, that works really well together. And so we don't want to be spending all of our time and energy cobbling together systems to kind of work well together. We want it all to work well together so that we can deliver a great customer experience. Um, and so there's, there's something that we've looked at that's probably not built well and we would rather just build it on our own and then there's something that came along that was built really well and we would really like to bolt it on you know um and so we would we would look at something like that for ARPU so it's it's not really fair of me to say no that's not what we do but in general Jordy the way I've built the portfolio of businesses is I look at everything individually there's in the beginning I was sort of looking at SaaS businesses that would complement an agency model but that was just probably because that's the deals i saw because i knew agency owners who built products you know um as i've expanded over the years i just look at every SaaS independently like i kind of wanted to get into e-commerce and i've always been really interested in email businesses um but it's not because there was something lacking from the other SaaS. it was because i I saw a lot of value in that area, and so I would, you know, be more interested in that than I would in something else. But in general, it's not really sophisticated. It's it's what's landed in my lap and looked like a good deal, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the other sizes that you that you bought that were sort of flat at the time, have you been able to? grow them? I mean, do you have a formula where you can come in and you're like, okay, these are flat? Because um, I know there's a lot of SaaS businesses that are out there. The owners are just, it's flatlining and they get, they get bored and so they start something else. Have you been able to buy those sort of zombie SaaS businesses and figured out how to start growing them again?
1: It's a lot of work. It, it, it is, is a yeah. lot of energy. So what you see a lot is a founder who is like almost manic with the way they launched their business and um, they like get on the keyboard and they build it and they got like developers in the Philippines and <clears throat> all over and they're just building this thing up and then they're like they're on in the Facebook groups and they're on Reddit and they're on you know all the all the all the communities and forums online just talking about i don't know like Amazon sellers, or whatever, right? And they're just like, hey, I'm building this app. I'm building this app. And all this interest around what they're building because of their contributions to the forum and the community and stand up all night posting on the internet is paying off. And so you see this business, it starts to grow, right? And then this sort of manic phase ends and it dips. Right. And they start they stop being so active in all their online forums. And you've got this sort of founder personality that begins to kind of dissipate. And then the founder looks up and says, oh, no. And so they go back online and start, you know, pecking away at all the forums and and engaging. And you see it spike back up again. And then it starts to level off. Right. And um, what happens a lot is that business will die off. With the founder's lack of engagement. Lack of... Yeah, lack of... Lack lack of energy, 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 lack of contribution to the dialogue, you know. And that's because all they ever built was an MVP. And they kicked up a lot of dust and built a lot of awareness around the business by engaging online and by being a strong personality, okay? That business is one that I've learned to stay away from.
0: Okay. And how do you recognize that? Is it from the decline? Because
1: you just look at where all their traffic comes from and look at what they've had to do to generate yeah. that traffic. You know, if it's the founder just constantly creating content and engaging deeply in all the forums and saying, oh, well, you got to know where the deep number three forum on the Amazon Reddit sublink is yeah. or whatever, you know, like,
0: yeah,
1: I yeah. I, actually know how Reddit works and so I'm kind of picking yeah. at how, like, deep down that rabbit hole you can get. Um, yeah. But what... What I really like to see is somebody that kind of does this over the years, right?
0: Stair stepping up.
1: Stair stepping up. And then like, if they kind of stop, it just stays flat. And when you identify that, you've identified something that sells itself, right? Mm -hmm. Now,
0: And then you just fix a churn problem or something? Yeah,
1: you can try and fix churn. That might be an opportunity. But... Odds are, if it's flat, it doesn't it doesn't have a churn problem, right? Odds are, if it's flat, it's a good product, right? And good products don't have churn problems. So then how do you get that to grow? Well, you have to go back to what they were doing six years ago and do it for six years, right? Like, I mean, it's there's no shortcut to it. Um, you can
0: pump it. You, con, I mean, content, like a, a solid content strategy. It's content. Yeah, it it's got to like,
1: be content marketing, I think. Um, yeah. You know, I I don't know that pumping it with with traffic right away with paid is going to do anything long term for you because odds are um, in the beginning you're going to waste a bunch of money bringing people to your service who either don't convert or who churn out because it's not the perfect fit and whatever the founders were doing to be part of the conversation that holds them flat and got them there over six or eight years you know, was just talking to the right people in the right way, you know, and there's, and these flat businesses that I bought, they're very niche. They're very specialized. And so there's not a huge addressable market because we do something that Atlassian and Jira does, for example, with Sifter, but we do it in a very opinionated way. And so we're, we're getting like, a a tiny piece of of that addressable market because sifter is such a strongly opinionated piece of software it's a great piece of software but it's not your do everything sort of solution it's like hey if you want us to hold your hand through bug and issue tracking and give you the framework that we have learned works really well for someone like you then use sifter right and the people who appreciate and value that know about sifter already um, we start trying to like drive traffic to people who want to switch from Jira. We're going to have issues because guess what? They're coming from Jira or whatever. They're used to like software that does everything. And sure, we're way yeah. cheaper than Jira, yeah. but we also do a lot less than Jira, and so we can't support you know your you know scaled agile framework for the enterprise methodology. You know,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and so that's how most of those businesses are. They're flat. And in terms of, have I got a playbook? No, I don't. It's called work. Um, yeah. And I'll be completely honest. Some of them have lost value. They have shrunk over the years. Some of them have stayed flat and some of them have gone up. So even, even, even work doesn't seem to always solve the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's about finding the market fit and being there and talking to them And some of them are to the point now where with everything else we've got going on in the portfolio, we don't want to spend any time or energy on them. And so we're not trying to, you know, um, grow them. Some of them we are trying to grow. And some of them we're saying, hey, we need to be careful about where we spend our time and attention so that we're focusing on the most important things. And so let's not focus on this one as much for growth. You know, let's take care of the customers. Let's make sure that the bugs get fixed and we add features and stuff like that occasionally. Um, but, hey, we need to put our attention and energy over here, right? And that's just yeah. a natural part of business when you have a portfolio where, you know, this thing over here is making 10 times more than this thing over here.
0: Yeah. And, and focus, is it—is it, is it focus for you with, you know, all these projects and you got got 100 people? Is it sort of focus... Where do you spend your time? Is it like putting out fires or is it building systems or like where do you you find your... Yeah.
1: I'm going to be really honest today about this. Um, I've been busier the last six months than I have been for a while because three deals in the last year is a lot. And that's part of the reason that earlier I was a little, I don't know, reticent about all the... (laughs) I'm not... I shouldn't really be buying more businesses right now. Like I I probably got what I need. You know. <laughs> you and I need to focus full. on that. Yeah, I've got my hands full. Yeah, yeah. Um, but generally speaking, um, I work very closely with the leaders in each business and let them do their thing.
0: You have a team. I, have, you say leaders, I have you're a few talking teams. about I mean, the, a few you, teams. you have the leaders for, say, uh, get ARPU, and then the leader for Sifter, and you just kind of deal with just the leaders. They're almost like project managers.
1: Yeah, but more abstracted than that. So I have I have two key leaders on the agency side, Matt and Patrick, who are wonderful. They run the day-to-day of the business. Um, at this point, I've worked with these two guys long enough that they can ask me anything they want and they pretty much know what I'm going to say, right? If it's if it's something about, you know, my philosophy for how I make a decision or, or, or what what they think I might say if they ask me a direct question. They still come to me though because they say, hey, we're doing this thing, we're going through this exercise right now and you're really good at this part of it. So we would like for you to just kind of get on this meeting and be really good at that part of it with us for a minute so that we can, you know, some of your brain for this and we did that the other day with a compensation plan I've got key leaders at delegated there's a leadership team at delegated they run delegated day to day they do again just like Matt and Patrick they do all the hiring and firing uh, they do the HR the payroll um, the PTO all that sort of management stuff and My job there is to help cast a vision for where the business is headed um, and to focus on developing our corporate customer base, which is something I've got a lot of experience in. Um, Having the agency background with a lot of corporate customers Um, and having started and sold a staffing business in the past, which is very much like what Delegated is. Um, And so I, I helped drive some of that. And I also just sort of, since I've only worked with this crew for less than a year, you know, teaching them how I think about decisions and stuff like that um, is 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 a big part of of, of when we engage. Just like explaining my thinking when they ask questions: "How should we handle this?" You know. Uh, but they they run the day to day, and they've been in that business way longer than me, and so I trust them to sort of know day-to-day what needs to be done and when there's a bigger question that comes up I'm, I'm, I'm there to listen and advise and sometimes I ask them what they think we should do because I don't really know you know or I don't have all the information yeah. that they have um, but you know my my big job there is to think about who we're going to hire next so I know we need to hire somebody in sales and um, I, I, I know that um, we need to be able to make sure that we're doing recruiting well um, that's a big part of that business when I bought Audience Ops, it came with with a, uh, a woman in a leadership position. Her name's Sarah. Sarah's awesome. Um, and so I've been working with Sarah to help turn her into the person who runs the day-to-day of the business In now that um, Brian, the founder, is out. And um, she's really stepped up and impressed everybody on the team. Um, and... Uh, you know, came up with an interesting way for her to not even have to work full time necessarily and still basically draw salary and get benefits. You know, <laughs> I mean, trying to find a win win for her to kind of run the business and, and and help her develop her career has been the fun part there. But spending a lot of time talking to Sarah, I spent a lot of time talking to the delegated leadership team and I spent a lot of time talking to Matt and Patrick. Now, everything else, all the other businesses have a singular team, so Sifter, Ballpark, ARPU, so on and so forth, all has a team of about 10, 10 or 12 people um, product manager, a marketing person. Um, and there are a couple of key people on that team that I talk to more than others, um, but we have kind of an interesting way that that team kind of manages and runs itself um, with daily stand ups. On Slack, that I kind of peek in on, and then I have a weekly touch point with everybody on that team. So most of the businesses run off of weekly touch points, and then anything in between happens over Slack or email or phone call. Mm -hmm.
0: That's great. Uh, JD, I want to cut you off now because we're getting close to our agreed upon time. I want to make sure you get off to any Mm -hmm. other meetings you have, but I wanted to thank you so much for your time. Super interesting. Uh, and if anyone can, wants to reach out to you, if they have a deal for you or if they want to find out about any of your businesses, uh, where, where can we send them?
1: Just email me, jdgrapham at gmail.com. It would be great. And, uh, you know, if you if you have anything at all you want to talk about, whether it's pick my brain about deals or, heck, a referral for a web project, <laughs> whatever you want. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah jdgrapham at gmail.com. Um, is is great. the well, easiest and quickest way to get to me
0: and JD at simplefocus.com is another great one I know you answered yeah right, yeah right.
1: They, they both show up in the same app for me so it's yeah. not a big deal great you know, either one
0: thanks so much again JD thank you Jordy thanks for listening to the Big Break software podcast with your host Jordy Wardman Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.